welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter five. We're going through the Beatitudes and we're taking our time going through them one at a time. And I just want to share with you really quick why. Because I believe that the Beatitudes are, are, they are the foundational traits of someone who is living in the kingdom of God. These are the ways that someone who is living in this world can live according to the kingdom of God principles. So these are, these are attitudes, these are behaviors, these are traits of someone who's living in the kingdom of God in this world. And, and an illustration occurred to me as we were doing worship, as I'm sitting here and, and watching Mike fiddle with all of his pedals and things down here. And they're all, I mean, it's all magic to me. I have no idea what any of those things do. And if Larry was up here, he's got at least 10 times more pedals and buttons and things than that. And, and each one of them has a purpose. Theoretically, each one of them has a purpose. I think part of it, I think they're having a competition so you can get the most pedals, you know, because it makes them look famous or fancy. I don't know what it does. But anyways, they have all these buttons and dials and, and levers and things on there. And each one of them is meant to, it has a purpose. And that purpose is to do something with the sound that's coming out for you. They're not, theoretically, they're not doing it for themselves. They're not doing it so they can feel better about, you know, their music. Right, Larry? Oh, okay, yeah. We're still working on him. So, but the point is that, that suppose you were to give me Mike's or Larry's board and one of their guitars would that make me a guitar player? No. I mean, it, I, you know, I would like to say it would. That's all I need. All I need is a guitar and, a, and, a, and this really fancy elaborate board with wires and different things on it. And all of a sudden, I'd be a guitar player as good as Larry or good as Mike. And the reality is I wouldn't be. And so I, need to, I would need to learn the basics before I'd, before I'd put a single pedal on, you know, on my guitar. But over time, I would add, and, and, my, and that sound would improve and get better. Same thing with the Beatitudes. Each one of them is a pedal for us. We learn how to be a Christian. Then we start looking at some of these finer, some of these little things, because each one of those pedals does a, something to the sound. It changes the way it appears on, on to the ear, where the way it lands in the ear changes when they do their whatever they do. Same thing is true. We're learning how to live in the kingdom. While we get a benefit out of it, mainly it's what changes the sound of our life, the, the, the way our life comes out to the world around us, because that's why we're here. 
We're here to live in this world in such a way that the world can see the kingdom of God. And as we embrace and we learn about these beatitudes, we're changing what comes out of our lives. So the rest of the world can see Jesus, can see the truth of the kingdom of God. And maybe they'll be drawn to it. And they'll be drawn to God as a result. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our series, The Savior King and His Kingdom. I don't know if this was on mainstream news or not, but at Stanford this week, anybody hear what happened at Stanford this week? At Stanford this week, law students, a group of law students, there was a a, a federal court judge that had been invited to come and speak at Stanford. Mainstream, big school, people go there to learn how to be lawyers. <clears throat> comes, and this group of students comes in and starts screaming and cursing and yelling. So much so that this speaker has no opportunity to say what he was invited by the school to come and say. And these are Stanford law students. People who are coming theoretically to learn how to be lawyers are screaming down a, federal, a sitting federal court judge because they didn't agree with his viewpoint. It's disgraceful. It is disgusting. It is disrespectful. It is childish. Now, does everybody have a right to free speech? Yes. But do you have a right to interfere with somebody else's free speech? Eh, probably not. Especially to do it in, in a way like that. Most of what we see in the news, in entertainment, in media, in social media, is exactly the opposite of this beatitude that we're going to look at today. We are being bombarded on a daily basis with things that are opposed, that are opposite of this trait, this kingdom trait. And the result of it is things like we saw at Stanford this week. We see people acting in ways, and, and here's the thing. What, what people don't understand is it doesn't produce good. It only produces evil. It produces emptiness loneliness, despair. We are seeing in our, in our culture the, the suicide and suicidal ideations are increasing dramatically in our culture, especially in teenage girls. If you have a teenage girl in your life, pray hard for them. Love them as much as you can. Get as close to them as you can because they're being just absolutely terrorized by our culture. And because our culture is so pervasive, even Christians aren't immune to the influences of it. And in just a few verses, here at the beginning of Matthew chapter five, Jesus gives us the solution. He gives us the answer, not just for us, but for all of those around us. The Beatitudes are the character traits of someone living in this world, but living according to kingdom of God principles. 
And for us as believers, these beatitudes are the remedy to the influence of this world. And it produces good from our lives. If we can embrace these beatitudes, these, these kingdom principles, these kingdom character traits, then it will change the way our life is perceived by those around us. And not just that, we will sense God's presence in a way that most people in the world never will. And this word, every one of these beatitudes begins with the same word. It's blessed. The idea and, and the, the primary idea of that word is to be approved by God and it's with God's approval that we experience more fully the grace of God, which is why we describe it as a blessing. We are blessed when we experience more of God's grace. And we experience more of God's grace when our life is approved by him, when he looks down upon our life and smiles. I told you before, one of the greatest things you can ever hope for in life is to know God's smile. If you know God's smile, everything else will be taken care of. If you know God's looking down upon your life and he's saying, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I was hoping for. That's what I was looking for in your life because that's the life that will glorify me. That's the life that will point others to me. That's the life that will bring you, me, you, whoever's doing, living it, the greatest blessing in this life. And we should desire God's blessing, should we not? Should we not experience all, desire all of God's good? Yes, even when things are bad, we should still expect God's good because he's going to bring it if we will just be faithful. So let's pray and we'll look at the next beatitude. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. And we lift up this time, and I uh, let those who are watching on Rumble today, and, and some of them may have had a, you know, a little bit of a struggle getting there, and, and there may be some still struggling to get there. And so I pray, Lord, that you would make a way for them to get there. And that, Lord God, through that, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up. And that as we get into this third beatitude, that, Lord, our hearts would be wide open Lord, knowing that, that your desire is not that we, would, that we would be defeated because we know we are not what this beatitude is calling us to be, but so that we know that this is one of the, another one of the pathways, that if we will understand it and start working our way toward it, we can know greater blessing in our lives because you are being glorified, because your, your son's name is being lifted up, because your spirit is moving in us and through us based on your word, on the truth of Jesus Christ. We praise you and love you in Jesus' name, amen. So the Beatitudes are not singular things. You can't, you can't just isolate them from one another. You can't say, okay, this is the main one and that's not. They're all connected. They're all intertwined. They all overlap. So there's this, always this, this connection one to the other. And you can almost see a progression of of spirituality as we go through them. The first two, in many ways, prepare us for the one that we're looking at today. The first one was blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you remember that one of the things that I said there was that that speaks of our recognizing that we have nothing to bring to God. That when we come to God, we can bring him nothing. And yet he gives us everything. Everything. 
And we got to remember that, that, that God loves you, right? Do you, do you know that God loves you? Do you know why he loves you? It's not because of you. There's nothing lovable in you. That's what being poor in spirit says. God, you love me, but there is no reason for you to except what is found in you because you desire it, because you want to, because you made me to be loved by you. That's the only reason why. I, I am not lovable. I don't deserve God's love. You don't deserve God's love. No one deserves God's love. But that's what it means when we believe that. And here's how this whole thing works. When I recognize that, I come to God, I say, God, oh, I cannot believe that you love me. It's, un it's unbelievable. I know me, not as well as you know me, God, but I know me well enough to know that I, I don't deserve your love. And this is, where, this is where we need to remind ourselves. We come to that place and become poor in spirit, broken over the reality that I do not deserve God's love. But then the truth is, God loves me. And I can rejoice in that. I can revel, I can marvel at the fact God loves me. I, can, I remind myself, I am forgiven. Do you know why God forgave you? Not because of anything in you. It was solely his grace based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. When I remind myself that I'm forgiven, I remind myself I did not deserve that. In no way did I deserve to be forgiven. Matter of fact, what I deserved is the exact opposite of forgiveness, and yet God forgave me anyways. It causes me to be humbled before God, but at the same time I rejoice in it because I am forgiven. All of my sins have been taken away. There is no guilt in me. And if there is any guilt in me, I need to get rid of it because it doesn't belong in me. Because I am forgiven. But not because of me. And you can go right down the list of all of these realities of what we are. And if we acknowledge the fact that there is nothing in us. There's nothing we can bring to God. Nothing. Our abilities, our experience, our knowledge, our good works, our goodness, anything you think you might want to bring to God, it's not good enough. And I come to this place where I recognize that. But then I remember. I remind myself, his word says, I can come boldly into his presence. Why? Because Jesus died for my sins so that I had that privilege not because of me, but because of him. That's powerful stuff. So when we look at these, these beatitudes, don't beat yourself up because you're not perfect in any of them because guess what? No one is. No one is. None of us are good enough. None of us are mastering these things. Randy might be getting close, but you know, he's still working on some things. We're not. We're working on them. But rejoice in the fact that they are true. Blessing comes when we believe these things. We don't have, we don't, we master the use of the, all these pedals, but we, we have them. And as we grow in our faith, we get better and better and better at using them. And as we do, the sound of our life becomes more beautiful. And we know even more intimately the smile of God's face. The second of the Beatitudes was mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. And the reality is, is that there's, the world gives us a lot of things to mourn about, but very specifically, this is mourning about our lost condition. The fact that we are sinners. That our sin grieves God's heart. 
Even, even the fact that, that, you know, that here we are, we're sitting here, and I'm guessing that most of us are believers here. Most of us have, a, have had our sins forgiven, and yet we're not perfectly sinless. If you were, you probably wouldn't be here. We need God's continuing forgiveness. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And he said to them, hey, I'm not doing this because you're lost. I'm doing this because you need that daily cleansing that comes, that you pick up that junk that the world is just filled with. As you walk through the world, you're gonna pick up the filth of the world. You need to be cleansed of that. We need to be cleansed of that. And it ought to grieve our hearts that we are not perfect, that we still sin every single time it ought to grieve our hearts because if we don't, if it doesn't grieve your heart, there's a point where you'll stop caring that you're doing it. And then eventually our heart should grieve over the sin in the world and the sins of the world. So as we as we learn to be poor in spirit, recognizing that we have nothing to bring to God, that we have nothing that makes us worthy, that we have nothing that we can do about it, that we, that we are sinners, and there's nothing we can do about that, it leads us to the third beatitude. Let's pick it up in verse five of Matthew five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I'm guessing that I just lost every man in the room We, we misunderstand this word because our culture has just radically misinterpreted it. In the couple other, it's used a number of different ways. The Greek word that's, that's translated here is used a number of different ways. In the, the New American Standard, this, this particular word is, is translated as gentle, and in the New Living Translation, it's translated as humble. And in fact, you see them translated all through the Bible using all three of those words. And not just that, there's a couple of other English words that are translated by this, into this word as well, and they are poor and lowly. And so there's a sense that there's, there's, there's something trying to be communicated here, but the three most common uses are meek, gentle, and humble. So that's the ones we're gonna be focusing on this morning. Now, our culture views meekness as weakness, right? Do we not see that in our culture, that the idea of being meek is weak? In fact, it's exactly the opposite. One commentator said, meekness is not weakness. Rather, it is the gentle spirit, the disciplined or controlled spirit. The idea here that, that being meek means being in control, in control of what? Of you. Being in control of what's going on inside of you. The more control that we have over ourselves, we can determine how we respond to the outside influences. And we're being told that the right response is a gentle or humble or meek response to the world around us. But it takes self-control, right? Because our natural flesh wants to do something else, usually. Someone else said that meekness is strength under control. And we, if we need an example of that, we only need to look to Jesus. He is the perfect example of meekness. 
he's the perfect example of all the things of God, but in this case, it's one of the most profound examples of this. Who is Jesus? Thank you. That's a good church. Say it like you believe it. Jesus is God. How powerful is God? He's all powerful. Is there anything Jesus could not do? No. Jesus, while he was on the earth, he, he had human flesh. He was like us. He was still God. And at any time, he could have exercised every single facet of what it means to be God. At any time. Matthew 21, 5. We'll get to that probably next year. <laughs> I'm not joking. It might be next year. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Speaking of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the week before he went, excuse me, he went to the cross. The word lowly there in that verse is the same Greek word that we translated in our, in, in chapter 5, Matthew 5, 5 as meek. Same word. The king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, was lowly. He's our perfect example of meekness. God's people, no matter how holy, no matter how good, no, how, no matter how mature, no matter how spiritual they are, will never be as meek as Jesus. We have a daily battle with the flesh. We are always fighting the flesh, no matter how strong, no matter how mature, no matter how wise, no matter how old, pick an adjective, no matter how anything you are, you are always gonna have this battle with your flesh. I mean, it happens in such small and subtle ways. When, when, when somebody does something around you and you feel hurt or offended by that thing, you know, so-and-so, you know, you know suck, Chuck didn't say hi to me this morning when he came in. Chuck must hate me. I don't, I don't know what's wrong. I, I, something is wrong. And, and we start creating all these scenarios. You know what's going on? You know, your flesh is rising up. There's no bearing in reality or truth. And yet when we allow these emotions to rise up, that's not meekness. You know what that is? Pride. We get frustrated. Anybody ever get frustrated? I do. Something happens and it frustrates me. I had probably one of the most frustrating weeks I've had in a long time. Things that should have been easy for me this week were hard. Things that should have taken me 20 minutes to do took me six hours to do. I, I don't like it when that happens. And my flesh gets mad. These things, when they happen, it's proving something to us. It's proving to us that our flesh has way too much power in our lives. 
Turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to do a little moving around in the Bible today. Is that okay? Is it okay if I tell you to go different places? doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyways, but it'd be nice if it was okay. Oh, Jane's not. Yeah, she's leaving. Okay, fine. Go ahead. I just offended her. I made her look somewhere else. Listen, here's the reality. Our ability to be meek. This is, a, this is a weird connection. You may not have made this connection. Our ability to be meek is directly connected to how much we trust God. Do we trust God or not? Yes, say yes. Yes, we should trust God. Do we trust him enough? Probably not. Not if we're getting frustrated. Not if we're getting you know, offended by some small slight some misinterpretation. I can't tell you how many times people have been offended by me by something I said that I never actually said. I hate that. It offends me. Oh, wait a minute. That's not right. <laughs> we must trust God with everything. Being poor in spirit acknowledges the reality that, that, that we, the inability to do anything about stuff yeah, we, we can do what we do, but the reality is the really important things, the spiritual things, we need God. Only God can do that. And it knows, we know, God is perfectly holy and able to do all that he chooses. Meekness is possible when we trust God to handle anything that comes into our lives. That when, when, when Chuck gives me this little slight, or I, I perceive a slight, do I trust God that God is doing a work in Chuck? Well, the answer, I better be yes. If I do, then why do I care whether he says hello to me or not? Hurts my feelings. Yeah, that's my problem. One day, Jesus was walking along with his disciples, the disciples were behind him, and he notices something is up with them. And so pick it up here in verse 33 of Mark 9. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. They all thought they were something. You know, I, you know, I did this, and I did that, and, you know, yeah, but you did that over there, too, and blah, blah, blah. Who will be the greatest? Now, they're arguing, and Jesus could have taken this opportunity to remind them who was actually the greatest, right? Because the greatest was actually standing right there with them. Or he could have reminded them all of the reasons why none of them should be considered the greatest. All of their mistakes and flaws, because he knew them all. Instead, he does this, verse 35. And he sat down, called the 12, and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last, and of all, last of all, and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little ones in my name receives me, and whoever receives me re receives not me, but him who sent me. You know, Jesus is God. And as he's sitting there with the disciples, and they're 
they're acting, they're acting foolish, prideful, arrogant. Jesus could have rebuked them harshly. How does he respond? He responds in gentleness. And he points them to the truth. He points them to God. Jesus sitting in front of them. God in the flesh. If there was anyone in the universe that had the power, authority, and right to make them do what was right, it was Jesus. In perfect meekness, gentleness, and humility, he showed them a different way. He showed them how to respond when people are doing dumb things around them. He showed them God's way to walk in this world. We don't have to be offended. We don't have to be hurt. We don't have to be frustrated. We don't have to be annoyed. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be any of those things. And when we are, it's a sign. Not of good. It's a sign. We still need work. Anybody here still need work? Still not 100%? Still trying to work out what it is to be a Christian? Yeah, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand. I believe God put me in this world to influence people toward his son, Jesus Christ. And not just me. Did he not put all of us in the world for that purpose? All of us. Now, I, I, you know, that's my thing. That's my number one thing. That's my, that's my job, you know. I actually get paid to point people to Jesus. But that doesn't mean that I'm supposed to try to control them. There's a huge difference between influencing someone toward Christ and trying to control them to be like Christ. God never asked me to control anyone. He never asked me to to make someone be better. Jesus was meek, gentle, humble, and lowly in everything he did. Even in those times where you look at him and say, dang, Jesus, that's a little harsh. He was still doing it in meekness. And he did all those things while he was God. That's the problem with, with many of us, especially, you know, guys, because, you know, we are what we are. Give us any power and authority, goes right straight to our head. And we start acting like we're in authority. We start acting like we are in control. We, you will, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Jesus didn't do that. And he was the only one in the world that could have done that. Where we see this most powerfully was on those events that led up to the cross. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Isaiah describes the meekness of the Messiah. In in Isaiah 53, 7, he said this, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. The most unjust, 
the most wicked, the most horrific things that have ever been done on this planet happened in a 24-hour period right here. Those things that Jesus endured should not have happened. They are wicked things. And at any moment, Jesus could have stopped them all. He had absolute authority. He had absolute power. He had absolute right to make them stop. But he didn't. He didn't. In absolute meekness, humility, and gentleness, he endured all of that terrible stuff. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he was just like us. That means he felt every bit of it. He felt what it would feel like if one of us was going through it. If one of us was enduring it, we would know exactly what Jesus felt because he felt exactly what we would feel if it was us. The difference is, he was God. In the hours that led up to the crucifixion, Jesus experienced more than most humans could endure. And he did it with meekness and humility and gentleness. Matthew 27, verse 11. Just one of these things. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not a word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Before the horror of the crucifixion, Jesus was punched, slapped, spit upon, his beard pulled out, whipped, scourged, mocked, blasphemed, lied about, and betrayed, all in a 24-hour period. And then, the cross, where the mocking continued. God in the flesh. It's unthinkable to me. It's unthinkable that my Savior endured all of that. And he endured it for me, but not just me. He did it for all those who were doing those horrible things to him. And he did it in perfect meekness. Brothers and sisters, especially brothers, we ought to look to Jesus for meekness. He, he was the most powerful being on earth. And yet, he let these things happen. Why did he let them happen? He told us. Because this is the way it's supposed to be. I came for this very purpose, he said. It was the will of God that he endured that suffering for us. And during that entire ordeal, he retained and restrained the power to stop it all. At any moment, he could have stopped it all. That's meekness. 
to have the power, to have the authority, to have the right, and yet to allow whatever comes because that's what God allowed. That's what God willed. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to understand something. We have the same power within us that he has. We have the Holy Spirit. You know who the Holy Spirit is, right? Say it out loud. Come on, church. God. We have God living in us. How much power does that include? All of it. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live like Jesus. But just having the Holy Spirit is not enough. We must cooperate with him as he works to conform us into the image of Christ, as he works with us to teach us how to use all the pedals, to teach us how to play the guitar, to teach us how to live this life, how to use, how to, how to incorporate all these beatitudes into our reality. It's not just to know the beatitudes, we have to be the beatitudes. You not know what being poor in spirit means. It means actually being poor in spirit, making it a reality in your life, that you're, every time you think of something and you think of, of whatever, like this one, like the meekness one. Every time somebody offends me, I think, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. That's not the right response, because whatever my normal response is, not the right response. How should I respond to this? That takes us doing something. Paul says it takes self-examination. And this is where a lot of Christians fall short. They just let life happen. I'll do my religious activities. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll come to church. I'll watch online. Whatever it is I'm going to do. And that makes me okay. Well, does it? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Too many Christians are just cruising through life. They're just allowing life to happen. God wants us to be proactive in our faith, to examine ourselves, to pause. When you hear a message like this, not just to let it come in and just, okay, well, okay, that was okay, whatever. That was a, that was a C plus pastor, okay. But we need to let God's word come in we got to let his message come in and fill our mind and heart. And we have to allow it to do that work that can, that can shape us and change us. We've got to allow these things to come in. But then, then one of the things we do is we need to think about what we're thinking about. And we often don't do that. I, I know I don't do that. I let th thoughts come in and I, I let them come in. They'll, they'll pitch a tent in my mind somewhere. And before long, they've got a whole plantation going on. I have no idea how it happened. I'm thinking, what am I thinking about? Why am I thinking about that? Why am I allowing it to happen? Because here's the problem. Once that thought, once that thought you know, you know, gets roots into your heart and mind, it's hard to get out. And it starts changing the way we behave. Paul tells us what we ought to do here. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself 
itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Which thoughts does God want me to take into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Every one. Every one. We don't do that. None of us do that. But that's his desire. Listen, the battle for your soul is right up here. It starts right here in the way that we think. And until we change the way we think, we, we, we transform through the renewing of our mind the way we think, we're going to keep losing fights. We've won the battle. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've won, you won the ultimate war, but we lose fights, we lose battles because we don't let God change the way we think. Not only that, but the battle for the souls of those around you, you know where that starts? In your mind, in my mind. The battle for my marriage starts in my mind. The battle for my family, the battle for my church starts in my mind. Now, if you were standing up here, what would you say? It would be in your mind. Because we, you, we all play a part in that. And one of the very first things we have to do is reject the world's view in, in the context of our message. Reject the world's view that meekness is weakness. And I'm telling you guys especially, that's going to be hard. Because we have been programmed from birth to believe that we're supposed to be strong. And that strength must show in ways often that, that are not godly. The whole concept of toxic masculinity. Personally, I don't believe masculinity is toxic unless you're doing it wrong. We must reject this idea that meekness is weakness because if we believe that, then we, we have a hard time reconciling Jesus because Jesus does not reflect the strength that we perceive as strength. He was meek, gentle, humble. We must change the way we think. What you think will determine what you do. Now, so Paul tells us we need to take every thought into captivity. If I gave you a homework assignment, I'm not going to because you would hate me for it. So for the next week, record every thought you have and, and compare it to the word, okay, no, no. We're not gonna do that. But we need to start doing something. Now, I'm gonna encourage you. One of the ways we can do this is, is we start with the ones that stir us up, right? There's certain thoughts that kind of get us stirred up emotionally. They, they, they create some sort of a, a negative emotion, whether it be frustration or anger or fear or worry or guilt or any of these negative emotions that are wrong emotions. They stir us up. It's these ones we need to try to grab and then examine. And what do we examine them with? We examine them with God's word. Now here's a series of questions. 
When you feel something, ask yourself, will this thought lead me to being meek like Jesus? Will this thought lead me to be more like Jesus? Will this thought lead me to be more gentle or less gentle? Mm. <clears throat> it's hard to watch the news and then see some of the horrific things that our government is doing. I mean, some of the laws that are being passed in California just sicken me. And it's hard not to be angry about it. But can I be gentle and angry at the same time? Mm, probably not. Is this thought rooted in pride or in humility? Is this thought based on God's word or the world's views or my opinions? That's another one that you probably ought to stay away from. Does this thought build me up or tear someone down? Here's a good one. Would someone feel loved or encouraged or edified if I shared this thought with them? Ooh. When a thought comes up and I tell Chuck, Chuck, you offended me. You didn't say hello to me. Would that build him up? No, he'd think I was dumb. <laughs> Questions like this can help us to transform our mind. Can help us to think more like Jesus. But the, but the concept is we have to start thinking about what we're thinking about. And too often we just allow thoughts to come in, they do what they're gonna do, and then they move on. Then something else comes in after it. We don't ever, we don't ever stop and grab them and say, hey, what are you doing here? I would challenge you this week. Again, it's not homework, because we know how people feel about homework. But to take even one thought this week, one thought that comes into your mind and you grab it. Not just grab it, you write it down. This is what I'm thinking about. And you start asking it, these kinds of questions. And you, and you try to bring a scripture or two or 12 or 100 into it to say if it's right or wrong. And if you, and if you look at it, and then, and then if you're really brave, you know, find somebody spiritually more mature to you and talk to them about it. Say, this is what I thought. This is what I think is right or wrong about this. What do you think? Listen, if we don't start with one, we will never get to every. And so we have to start with one thought. Just grab one thought. And what happens over time, if you'll do this, you'll make a practice of doing something like this, is it starts to become more automatic. A thought pops in, and you, ought, and you, you, you recognize this thought is there. You have to acknowledge the thought's there, and then you will automatically go into this process of evaluation. And what do we do, what should we do if we find out, you know what, that thought does not belong in my brain. What should we do? Repent. Repent, not get rid of it. And that, that, that's true. That's not enough. We need to repent of that thought because there's something wrong in our, in our thinking, something wrong in our attitudes, and we need to repent of it, because if we don't repent and confess it to God, then, then another thought just like it will show up. Because we can, we can cast them out all the time. No, no, I'm not gonna think about that. I'm, I'm throwing that away. But if we don't turn our heart to God, say, God, that is wrong. I know it's wrong. I may not know why, but I know it's wrong. 
Forgive me, God, for that thought. And then, this is where we remind ourselves that we're poor in spirit. There's nothing I can do about it. Those thoughts just keep coming into my brain. God, I need you to help me. Help me not to think those thoughts anymore. Replace those thoughts with right thoughts. And if you need help, I'm telling you, don't, I mean, I got to spend time with the men's group yesterday. I love that. There is so much power in the people of God getting together, whether it be in a men's group or a Bible study, get together with other believers and then open your heart to them. This verse ends with the promise. They shall inherit the earth. The Bible's clear that God bestows grace and favor upon those who are meek and humble. We see it over and over again in Scripture. There are many, many places where God makes promises to those who are meek and humble. He doesn't on those who aren't. James, excuse me, James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Anybody, anybody want God fighting against them? No. But if we're proud, we allow pride in, and it can be so subtle. You know, so often we think of things like this, you know, the prideful person is that person who's all puffed up, and, and, they're, and they're, you know, they're, loud and brash and they're bragging about how amazing they are you know what there's some very subtle you know examples of pride that you almost don't even notice it's pride but it is those are more dangerous and I'm frustrated because somebody doesn't do something I think they ought to do what is that that's pride because I think I know better. I know what's going on in them. I know what they should do. And if they're not doing it, they must be wrong. I'm right. That's not right. In that verse where it says that, that the humble, though the meek, Shimei, will, shall inherit the earth, in the New American Standard, it translates earth as land. And, and there is a, I'm going to get to it later on, but there's many places in the Old Testament where it tells us the meek will inherit the land. And for the Jewish mind, that made perfect sense because it was referring to the promised land. That when God promised the land of Israel, the land of Canaan slash Israel, to the Jews, that, that, that it was not just the geographical location of Canaan that he was promising them. There was a whole grip of promises that were attached to the promise of the land. And so when, when they heard that the meek shall inherit the land, they knew it was more than just Israel, just, just Canaan. It was all the promises that God made to Abraham and then through Moses. <clears throat> the new covenant came, and, and it came with its own set of promises. And so when we interpret this verse 
and it says that they shall inherit the earth, what we're recognizing is we're recognizing that God has made promises to us as well as new believers, new covenant believers. There are promises that were made. And so one of the ways that we experience the fulfillment of God's promises is by being meek. Meekness is the pathway to experiencing the fulfillment of more of God's promises. Now, now, you know, if we are being honest, we want how many of God's promises fulfilled? All of them. Pride says, I'll live my way and God's gonna keep his promises to me. That's what pride says. Humility says, I need to be right with God and do it God's way to experience the fulfillment of his promises. To experience those blessings. It is amazing to me the things that God has promised us. Here's Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Somebody say hallelujah. We are children of God. We can say that, right? Can you say that? Say it. We are children of God. We are. Because we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. Not maybe, not could be, not you know, if I do the certain things, if, I, if I'm good, you know, I give enough or whatever dumb thing you think. No, you just are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. God's promises are experienced by faith. And faith is doing those things that we know is right and true according to God's word. And God's word is telling us that God's blessings flow through meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God's will for our lives is that we would be meek, humble, gentle. And it takes God, the Holy Spirit, to do it. And he promises when we have the Holy Spirit, which you do if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that there are certain fruits that are available to us. One of them is self-control. One of the ones, you know, it's at the end of the list. I don't know if you ever noticed it. It's at the end of the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's at the end of the list. You know why? It's the hardest one to do. At least for me. Kelly seems to have it mastered. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is an expression of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, especially the fruit of self-control. As we prepare to close in the 30 seconds I have left, turn to Psalm 37, Psalm 37. We're not doing communion today, right? Okay, good, I have all the time I want. The world we're living in is pretty messed up. Would you say yes to that? Yes, it is pretty messed up. It's messed up. But as we live out these beatitudes, we don't have to be messed up like this world is. We don't have to be messed up. King David, as he looked at the messed up world that was around him, he saw the world and it was pretty messed up in his day too. It inspired him to write these words. Psalm 37, starting in verse seven. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Who's he speaking to? Believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's talking to you right now. Rest in the Lord 
and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Oh, we could spend a lot of time on that one. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, and it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves, here, here's the key, in abundance of peace. One of the greatest desires that we have as humans is peace. We want to be at peace with, our, with our, the world around us. We want to be at peace in our marriage, in our family, in our community, in our church. We want to be at peace. We want to find that place of rest that, the, that God's word seems to promise us. It appears that one of the keys to that is meekness. Resisting the fleshly desire that so naturally rises up when circumstances of almost any kind stimulate us to these wrong thoughts, these wrong attitudes, these wrong feelings. And if we would just pause, think about what we're thinking, think about what we're feeling, and then ask ourselves, if I was as meek as Jesus, what would I do right now? Now, you may not want to, you may not feel like doing it, but even just doing what you know Jesus would do in that moment is a step in the right direction. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this day. And Lord, as we sit here right now, one of our great desires is that we would be at peace, that we would know your rest. And Lord, these beatitudes are not given to us to convict us, unless that's what we need but they're to shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus. They're one more tool that allows us to live a life that is good and right and true. And I thank you, God, for this message, a message that speaks to us, and, and, and I'm speaking especially to myself as a man, that, I, I, that, that meekness is, is powerful, the world may not see it that way, but you do. And so I pray for myself, I pray for every man in this place, Lord God, that we would believe your word. That, that your word says that meekness is the pathway to your blessing. And it's not a sign of weakness. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It takes much more strength to be in control than it is to allow our flesh to do whatever it wants to do. And so I pray. Lord, for all of us, not just the men, but all of us, that we would be strong in you through God-ordained, Christ-like, Holy Spirit-empowered meekness. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who is struggling maybe in this area, Lord, that, um, that they, would, they would humble themselves before you and recognize that whatever, whatever they're struggling with, that only you can fix it. Whatever, whatever it is they're afraid of, that you are more powerful, you, are, you can keep them and protect them from it. Whatever it is that they, they, they are doubting, that they would give that doubt to you.
and trust you, God, to carry them through. And Lord, if there's anyone online, anyone here that does not have a relationship with you, Jesus, you came to this world so that we might know God. But to know God, we need to, we need to turn away from our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own, our own opinions of the world. And we need to recognize that, that the, any life that's lived apart from God is a wrong life. No matter how good it might seem to those around us, if it's lived apart from you, it's wrong. And we need to repent of that wrong life. We need to turn away from that wrong life. We need to confess that we've tried to live life our way. And we need to give ourselves to you. Jesus, you came, lived a perfect life. God in the flesh. And in that flesh, you suffered and died for our sin. And then on the third day, you were raised again and then ascended back to heaven. If we'll believe that, then we will be saved. And I pray, Lord God, that you would change the hearts of every one of us, whether it's the first time receiving Christ, or maybe today we recognize that there's something in our lives that's not right, and we turn and give it to you, confess it to you, and receive your forgiveness, that we can be free to live a life that's more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We lift this, night, this day up to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.